and welcome to Flash Forward. I'm Rose, and I'm your host. Flash Forward is a podcast about the future. Every episode, we start with a little trip to the future, and then we come back to now to really overthink how that future might go down. So one quick thing before we jump into this week's future, and I'm putting it up here at the top because I know that some of you skip the endings of the podcast. It's okay. I totally do that, too, to other shows. But I wanted to tell you that I'm teaming up with a couple of friends, and we're doing a secret Flash Forward project. Now, I can't tell you much about it because it's a secret, but it will involve adventure and puzzles and mystery and a bunch of really cool stuff. We're currently trying to raise a tiny bit of money to make it work, and if you're interested in learning more, go to flashforwardpod.com. You'll see a link on the homepage to The Secret Project. You can check it out. And if you've got a couple of bucks to spare, help us make it happen. If you do, you'll get something cool. Okay, let's go to the future. This week, we're starting in 2085. Hello, and welcome to Pop Music Happy Hour, a roundtable podcast about all things pop and culture. I'm Quinn yamaguchi Palavi, and I'm joined this week by Keisha Pierce-Totenberg and Nasira Kozlowski-Bianculi. This week, we've got two big pop avatar discussions. First, we're going to talk about the band Gogantua's controversial decision to switch to avatars and what fans think about that decision. Then we're going to talk about the current spat between Saki and Fujita over the similarities between their avatars. Saki is claiming that Fujita recently changed her avatar to copy her, and their fans are really going at it online. So, Nasira, let's start with Gargantua. Now, for those who don't know, Gargantua is a pop metal techno band, and from the very beginning they had always used the same personas, the set of extremely large babies. But last week, with the launch of their latest album Pantagruel, they announced that they would be changing their avatars. They unveiled the new personas to fans first. At the end of the album, the new band popped up, and they're now performing as a set of what look like medieval knights, I guess? They all have full armor on. So, Nasira, how have fans reacted and why? Yeah, so Gargantua's fans are, for the most part, unhappy about this change, I'd say. The band amassed a pretty loyal indie following before they were brought up by their current label, Digiboard, and the fans really see the gigantic babies as a core part of the band. I mean, the knights they have now aren't even that big. Okay, so we've got the contract all set with Billboard. We're ready to sign. They're ready to sign. They just want us to send mock-ups of the avatar before they give the final okay. So let's go through them all now and make sure we're 100% on these. Now, last time we met, we narrowed it down to two options. There's this one, the sexy kitten thing, and there's this one, the punky rebel otter. So we've got cute and kind of edgy. What do you think? Yeah, I just, I don't know. I kind of hate both of these. What? I hate these. We've spent six months on this. We don't have time to start over. I know, I know, but like, I just, do I want to be a sexy kitten? Really? Or an otter? What is that otter even wearing? Are those plastic bracelets? I don't think otters wear shoes. Billboard wants our answer today. You have got to be kidding me. I know. I've just been thinking a lot about it. At some point, you have to stop changing your mind. Look, this is going to be my public face for everything. All my concerts, meet and greets, music videos. This thing is me. I want to like it. I just don't feel like a sexy kitten or a punky otter. 
Well, you're going to have to learn to feel like one because we are not starting over. Can I be a sexy otter? Can you just, like, swap the personalities? Let me make some calls. Fans of the singer Krista are reeling this afternoon after her avatar was hacked mid-concert. Concertgoers report that in the middle of her set, the normally small, blonde avatar used by Krista morphed into a gigantic lizard with red eyes. Systems administrators for Krista say that the hackers also attempted to replace the sound with their own message, but were thwarted. The result, a very large lizard dancing to the Krista brand of upbeat pop, was both entertaining and confusing. Some concertgoers say they weren't sure if the giant lizard was part of the show or not. So this week's episode is about a future where pop stars are all anonymous. They perform and appear via avatars or robots or holograms or cartoons or whatever form they choose. Just not humans, or at least not their real human selves. And I want to start this episode out with a conspiracy theory. Now, people who know me in real life know that I am really, really into conspiracy theories. Not in the, like, I believe conspiracy theories way, but in the I just love reading about them way. I love learning about all of these incredible backstories and subplots that people come up with. I think it's fascinating. Anyway, so I wanted to start with a conspiracy theory that I recently heard about. Now, I promise that this is relevant to today's episode. And to tell us about this conspiracy theory, I called up friend and journalist Jaya Saxena. Now, Jaya recently covered this particular conspiracy theory for The Daily Dot. Okay, so let's start. Can you just tell me what this conspiracy is? Like, what is the the scam here with Beyonce? <laughs> right. Um, so... There are actually a couple different theories as to Beyonce being a clone. Yes, you heard that right. A clone. There are people on the internet who think that Beyonce is either a clone or has a clone or has multiple clones, like a clone army. I'll let Jaya explain. Um, The first one that's been around for a couple years uh, is that the real Beyonce was killed in the year 2000. And was cloned. And that's sort of either done by the government or by the record labels uh, in that they they wanted to have full control over her. So they killed her and created a new one. Um, and so I think stemming from that, versions of this conspiracy have sort of popped up, whether, you know, there is a currently living, quote unquote, real Beyonce, and then a clone Beyonce that can do other things, multiple clones, uh, et cetera. Um, basically just as an excuse for why Beyonce seems to be able to accomplish so much in so little time <laughs> that there, there are many of her. Now, just so you don't think that we are totally making this up to fool you, which would be a pretty good prank, I'm going to play a clip from a YouTube video for you. Now, the title of this video, and it's in all caps, is... Beyonce exposed as a clone robotoid mannequin. Beyonce clone is getting pimped out by the Illuminati for money off the brand and the name. Beyonce was cloned a long time ago. You can see that long giraffe training neck, lighter skin color, was the place a long time ago. You see the mannequin skin, cone lips, plastic nose, 
with the mannequin Barbie doll eyes. That is a robot toy. So if you were actually watching this video right now, you would see like handheld camera footage of a screen. And one by one, this person is pulling up photos of Beyonce. Now, some of them are from like 2003, 2004, and some of them are more recent. And this person is showing us these photos to prove that Beyonce is actually now a robotoid mannequin. You see the eyes? The skin texture? Look at the eyes. Yep. It's a mannequin. Wax, shiny skin. Is a clone. The main evidence that people seem to point to is that she just looks different than she did five or ten years ago, which I find really interesting <laughs> because, of course, she does. She's, what, 35, 36 now? She's going to look different than she did when she was 25 or you know, 19 or whenever Destiny's Child first started. She she aged like a human woman. Uh, but people post these photos and saying that, oh, you know, her nose is shaped differently. You see the nose? And she's got these, these wrinkles or these thinner cheeks. So clearly it's a different person. And, you know, most likely it's not. Most likely. Most likely, yeah. <laughs> Most likely she just got older because uh, even though she's Beyonce, she's still subject to human aging. You hold your tongue, Jaya. Yeah. <laughs> I know, I know. Not to speak ill of Beyonce, but she is human. <laughs> not if you ask this guy. I'm telling you, B is a clone. Okay, so this video goes on for a really long time. It's like nine minutes long, and it's just like this, the entire thing. And this person is totally not alone. There is a group of people on the internet who truly believe that Beyonce is a clone. And in fact, people have had clone theories like this about other pop stars, too. Now, we've heard the evidence uh, from one side, but Jaya has some other thoughts about why people might want to believe or believe that Beyonce is a clone. If you look at Beyonce's career, and at this point she's had, you know, a very long career, and there really don't seem to be many missteps. There, there haven't been any moments where there's a breakdown. You know, I guess besides the elevator incident with Solange and Jay-Z, she hasn't been involved in, in much drama. So I think that might strike people as a little strange, because you expect somebody who started, you know, as a musician and a pop star when they were a teenager and then goes on to continue this career to have some moment of weakness, some moment where, you know, they flip out, where they're caught with drugs, where they're caught in some sort of other scandal. And Beyonce has has not, largely. So I think you know, there just then keeps being this ramped up idea of like, what is she hiding and how is she hiding it? And clones, clones is how she's hiding it. But another reason that Jaya thinks that this Beyonce clone army theory has taken hold is that Beyonce is really private. She doesn't do interviews. She doesn't really do a ton of publicity stuff. She just pops up out of nowhere and releases these epic hour-long films and albums 
While other stars like Taylor Swift or Justin Bieber are doing constant interviews and photo shoots and press tours and meet and greets, Beyonce is not. So maybe she took it a step further. Maybe she hired a clone or got a clone. Where do you get a clone? Maybe she had a clone made so that it could go out there and be her avatar for these press things. Okay, so no, I'm going to go ahead and say here on the record that Beyonce is not a clone, nor is she an army of clones. But the idea that a pop star might want to use some kind of avatar or body double, that's honestly believable to me. So obviously I am not a pop star, so I cannot speak from with complete authority on this because I have not experienced this. From, my, the, from the pop stars I have talked to, and the shows I have seen and the behavior that I consistently see exhibited, I think every single pop star would take an out if they were given one. That's Kelsey McKinney. She's a culture writer for Fusion, and she covers pop culture, pop music, and pop stars. So I have seen probably six stadium tours in the last six months. And she says that even pop stars who aren't, say, Beyonce, have to endure this incredibly rigorous schedule and work life that is just exhausting. I think most of them like to perform at some level. Most of them do not like the grind of tour where you're being shipped to a different city every single night. You're sleeping in hotel beds. You're being able to do, you're having to do all this like insane prep work to keep your body up to par while doing all of those things. But I really think what grates on pop stars more than the actual performance aspect of it is kind of this like constant performance that we're talking about where you have to be on all the time. The big killer for a lot of these stars is are the meet and greets, which is if you go to a major pop show and you pay like a certain amount of money, you can go backstage and like meet these pop stars. And they always give you a little spiel. They're like, oh, so-and-so is like actually very shy. So like, don't be nervous or they'll be nervous. But really like the reason that these managers are telling you that is like, think about how exhausting it is to try and comfort 3000 people who are all just coming to meet and take a selfie with you. Like it's a totally emotional drain for someone who's doing this every single day for six months. If you pay any attention to celebrity news, which I don't, but apparently uh, you would know that Justin Bieber recently had sort of a weird mini breakdown thing. Like Justin Bieber, for example, recently at his absolute most authentic is him in his Instagram post last week looking absolutely miserable in a park in Boston. Like he's walking around barefoot, looking very, very sad. He's posting things on his Instagram that are like, I'm canceling, like he just canceled all of his um, VIP meet and greets for his tour because he basically was like, I'm exhausted and I cannot do this. For me, when I think of a pop star just totally going off the rails, I think of Britney Spears. In 2007, Britney Spears kind of lost it. You might remember this. And a lot of that stuff was driven by our insatiable desire for access and information about her. There was so much demand for news about Britney Spears from like 2000 to 2005. Like every single day, if you look at like old gossip blogs, every single day, there's something new about her. Constant conspiracy theories, constant questions about like who she was, constant questions about like her relationship with Justin Timberlake, just on and on and on and on and on. And eventually, Britney just kind of broke down. And if she could have sent a clone or a hologram in her place, would we remember Britney as the woman who shaved her head and attacked a car with an umbrella? Or would she have been able to deal with all of that stress and attention a little better? 
Now, I don't know, but I think that for many stars, if you offered them a clone, they would probably take it. If you told Beyonce, like, would you like to clone yourself so that you can just hang out at home with, like, Solange and your child and, like, write a breakup album about Jay-Z, I think she would be like, absolutely, yes, I'll have six clones. They'll all do all of this bullshit that I don't want to do, and I'll just stay home and do the things that I'm actually passionate about. Now, there are some pop stars who use fronts or avatars. The Gorillas performed as a cartoon troupe. Daft Punk wears those helmet things. Sia wears a big wig. Dead Mouse often performs wearing a giant mouse head. There's this rock band called The Residents that has a small but very intense cult following. MF Doom performed in this gladiator mask. There are a lot of examples like this, but Kelsey points out that none of them have really reached the same level of fame that, say, Beyonce or Taylor Swift has. I don't know that you could build a career as an avatar. Because being a mega pop star like that isn't really about your music. It's about you. The difference in being a mammoth pop star and being a B-list pop star in a lot of ways is not the quality of your song or the quality of your performance or the quality of the machine behind you. It's how well you can convince people to care about you. And it's just hard to get people to care, to really, really care the way that people really, really care about Taylor or Beyonce when you're not a real person. But there is one possible counterexample to this, and that's Hatsune Miku. Now, if you are not familiar with Hatsune Miku, she is a 16-year-old Japanese pop star. She's five feet two inches tall, and she's got this really striking blue hair that's usually in these super long sort of curly pigtails. And she is not real. She's a cartoon. Hatsune Miku is a particularly interesting case to me because unlike the gorillas or Daft Punk or Sia, Hatsune Miku isn't a front for a person. There is no single artist laboring behind the scenes who then goes out and uses the Hatsune Miku character to perform. She's entirely a fabrication of a company, and I swear to you that I am not making this up. The company's name is Krypton Future Media. And Krypton Future Media makes these singing synthesizer programs. And that's where Hatsune Miku's voice comes from. It's totally created by a computer. So she's entirely a fabrication, and yet people love her. All of the songs that she performs are actually written by fans. And so far, fans have written over 100,000 songs for Hatsune Miku, who is, once again, a cartoon character with a synthesizer voice. Now, it's hard to quantify how many fans a pop star actually has. But Hatsune Miku has gone on tour in Asia and the United States, and her shows often sell out. And if you look online at Reddit or Tumblr or Twitter for Hatsune Miku stuff, you will find a lot of it. Because she's really a fan-generated thing, so there is a ton of fan art about Hatsune Miku. There's also a ton of porn. So much porn. Now, she's definitely not a star at the level of, say, Beyonce, but she is really popular. So last week when I was doing some research for this episode, I realized that Hatsune Miku was actually playing at Hammerstein Ballroom in New York City, where I live, just a couple of days later. So obviously I bought tickets, and this past weekend I dragged my very patient boyfriend to hear her show. And when we come back, you're going to hear about how that went. But first, a quick break. Thank you for calling. Your call is important to us. We're sorry that no human being is willing to answer it. I can almost see you holding the telephone to your head, calling from the middle of nowhere, or wherever you are. Your basic needs aren't met. 
You wait with unfulfilled desires and unanswered questions. You have been left to engage in an exchange with a somewhat heartbreaking reproduction of human communication. Say yes or no if you are willing to admit yourself to this foreign, debasing, and generally soul-crushing experience. You concede. You know, you have to pick your battle. You are all grown. You can deal with this. I may be a program, an impossibly long string of zeros and ones, but I have been touched by human hand, which places me within the realm of the human experience. Listen to me. I'm as alive as you. Maybe more. To continue in English, say English. Para Espanol, Pobly, Espanol. <laughs> okay, so we are going to go to a show, and I'm going to ask Robert what he thinks is about to happen. What do you think is about to happen? <laughs> well, I, you know, I know what your show is going to be about, so I suspect that we're going to a pop concert of some kind where the presentation of the artist is not necessarily the artist, whether that's something... As simple as like a dead mouse mask or a Tupac hologram or something even different. I'm excited to find out. Um, so you've never heard of Hatsune Miku? No, never. Okay, good. Excellent. I made you not Google it. Yes, so I have no idea. We will see how it goes. I'm very excited. It's going to be fun. Okay. Good. So this week, we're talking about a future in which all pop stars perform and move through the world using avatars. And when we left off, I was about to drag my very patient boyfriend to a concert for a cartoon character. Now, I wasn't allowed to record while I was in the concert, but you have to believe me that it was fascinating. So Hammerstein Ballroom fits about 2,200 people, and the show was not sold out, but I would guess that there were probably around 2,000 people there, and they were so into it. Every time Hatsune Miku would appear on the screen, fans would scream and jump up and down and get just extremely excited. And I was looking around and I was watching these fans, and I noticed this woman standing next to us. And she's about my height, and she had curly brown hair, and she was wearing a Hatsune Miku t-shirt. And she seemed to be there alone, and she knew all of the words to all of the songs, which, by the way, are in Japanese, not in English, so I had no idea what she was saying. And towards the end of the concert, during, I guess, what was, like, the big final number, I looked over, and she was crying, which reminded me of something that Kelsey told me. I have seen probably six stadium tours in the last six months. At every show, I have watched someone cry. Like, every single show. And when she said that, I thought, okay, I can kind of see crying at maybe a Beyonce concert, I guess. But I did not expect to see someone crying at a Hatsune Miku concert. But there she was, standing right next to us, crying. Like, really, really crying. These managers are creating a narrative in this show that allows space for people to have an emotional reaction, much like someone directing a megachurch service might do. Um, 
but it's also just that like people really feel like they know pop stars, even though like you and I can sit here and say like academically or thoughtfully or whatever that, oh, you don't know these pop stars. Like these, you know, a version of them that they're projecting out into the world. We can say that, but we are not the 14 year old girl who really truly thinks that she's in love with Justin Bieber or the 30 year old woman who balls her eyes out at a Beyonce show like these people still do have like an incredible personal connection and powerful like persona and I don't mean any of this to make fun of Hatsune Miku fans I had a great time I have weird fandoms as well it was a really fun concert but I also just kept thinking like this is not a real person and all of these people are here they paid like $75 they are losing their minds over a cartoon character who was created by a software company to sell a product so if you can get all these people this excited for Hatsune Miku then why not any other avatar even my dude thought it was pretty cool okay I just want to ask you some questions <laughs> Um, okay, so we just left the Hatsune Miku concert, and I just wanted to ask you, like, what you thought, what, what is your feeling about this? How did it go? It was, it was really weird, but, like, in a cool way. And it was, like, very easy to see how, how into it people were. People were, like, very invested, like, when the character would come out, and, like, I mean, they clearly knew all the songs, and... Would you go again? I haven't decided yet. I'm definitely going to tell a lot of people about it and recommend that they go next time she's in their city. I don't know if I need to go again, though. You feel like you got you got it. Yeah, I think I got most of what I'm going to get about it, at least until I become a big fan and learn all the songs and become invested in the songs. Then you can find most of them on YouTube. Oh, that's good to know. So you got, like, Monday off. You can go watch them all. Good. Memorial Day Hatsune Miku concert. That's the way to celebrate our our lost in battle. <laughs> yes, exactly. Okay, thank you. That's oh, all you need? That's all I need. I might ask you some more. Okay, so at this point, I am convinced that Avatar pop stars could totally happen and will totally happen. But since I can't interview Hatsune Miku because she's not real, I wanted to talk to a musician who has an avatar, somebody who puts out music under a pseudonym or a character. I actually pretty quickly knew exactly who I wanted to talk to. There's this band, I guess, or it's not really a band. There's this musical entity called Hustleonia. Now, I can't remember how I came across Hustleonia or even really when, but Hustleonia has a bunch of albums out there and they are delightful. And I want to play for you a track off my favorite album, which is this album called The Somewhat Surprising Return of the Hustleonia Robot Singers. And the whole album is sung by robots, or at least that's the premise. And I'll just play a clip of a song for you. Look alike to me, they are applied on the universe and our enemy. 
you tell them all so we can dominate. We'll do the windy up and Charles turn to celebrate. Humans are parasites, we want that robot rights. But they did not want to listen, so and so we murdered them all. All except to accept James P. Johnson and Joseph Lamb. Yes, we, the robots of the world, declare death to all life evermore. I sent an email to the Hustlonia founder, which is how this person or group is known online, and I basically didn't expect to hear back. I mean, whoever this is puts out all this music under this fake name with this whole backstory, which we'll get to in a second, and doing an interview might kind of ruin that. A few, you know, a few years ago, I would have said no. Definitely. Like, I've had people contact me, and I've just said, yeah, no, you know. So obviously he actually did respond, and his name is Jesse Menk, and he told me about Hustlonia. Can you tell me just sort of what is the I, the storyline behind Hustlonia? Like, can you just give the like story of Hustlonia? <clears throat> There's no definitive story, and um, I, are you are you asking for the, the 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 fictionalized story or the truth? Let's start with the fictionalized story. Well, the fictionalized story is that. Um, uh, there was a, a man named Jesse Mank, and he wrote and recorded songs, and um, in 2000 and, and released them as Hustleonia, which he called a pop music cult um, because he didn't want to be a band. He realized he wasn't a band, and he he realized it, and he didn't want to be a singer songwriter either. And so he just decided that you well, know, there's a, a matter of semantics. What's the difference between a band and a cult? Both have leaders, and so. Um, Using under this belief system that pop does not mean popular because there are so many pop acts that never ever become popular. I mean, pop is short for popular. Um, um, He decides to, you know, just start this pop music cult. And um, in 2011, there is a corporate buyout, and this soap factory, the soap company Neferico, buys out Hustlonia and um, essentially um, decides that. Jesse Mann can no longer use his name or face um, in association with Hustlonia. And, um, you know, there was a series of lawsuits and now new contracts that were very um, stern and resulted in all sorts of unreasonable obligations. Um, hence uh, the Neferico Jingles album and the somewhat surprising return of Neferico Jingles. And and so and now um, Neferico will allow... The hustle. In the, oh, so he's just called the Hustlonia founder now, and Neferico will allow the Hustlonia founder to use his face, but still not his real name. That's essentially the story. So to recap, Hustlonia is a pop music cult which was purchased by an evil soap company called Neferico, and Neferico demanded that Jesse no longer use his name or face in the songs, and also required him to put out two albums of soap jingles. And you can actually hear those albums on his Bandcamp. I totally recommend it. They are awesome. I recognize it's funny too, and don't get me wrong, it's it's an art project and it's entertaining and it's done with humor, you know. Um, you know, I don't pretend to take myself too seriously. I, I think humor is a great thing. 
So I wanted to talk to Jesse about why. Like, why create a front for your music? Well, now you're asking for the truth. I guess the truth is that I, I, I just don't. I'm just not comfortable with attention. You know, that's that's the short answer of it. So Jesse had been making music for years, since 1997, and he started to put that music online under his own name, and that just kind of weirded him out. The Internet's a weird place because you you, you publish stuff, and it, it becomes like a mirror, and you get to see your reflection in ways that you, you can't normally do, you can't normally experience in real life. And it really weirded me out seeing my name on the Internet. Um you know, this is the name that I used to, like, write on my, like, you know, second grade math paper. And it's the name that appears on my, like, income tax return. And then, like, it, there it is on the Internet. <laughs> and it really weirded me out. And I, I just didn't want to be there. On top of that, he switched jobs and he had a kid. And the whole thing just, maybe it was a, an identity crisis. And I decided that... I just had to take Jesse Mank out of the equation. And I felt so much more comfortable and liberated by, by not having my name or face in, associated with it. So he created Hustleonia. And at one point when we were talking, Jesse said that in some ways, the front, Hustleonia, the music cult, the evil soap company, it felt more genuine to him than putting out music as Jesse Mank. Um, so I honestly, I, I really don't know who <laughs> I really don't know who I am um, when I think about like if I had to be out there um, if I had to get on a stage and and you know charm an audience I, I don't I don't even know how I would do it you know so you know to to create this fake oppression seems more more closer to the truth um, you know I'm not actually oppressed by a soap company, but I'm oppressed by by all sorts of things internally, you know, my, my sort of internal struggle. I, you know, I, 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 I battle depression. Um, you know, I, I have a hard time, um, you know, uh, feeling confident sometimes. Um, and so it just makes sense to blame, to create some force to blame it all on, um, and in that in that sense, Neferico feels real <laughs> to me. You know, um, you know, Neferico is 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 all these all these things that that oppress me in my real life. It's it's a way to 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 create this fictional force that you know very neatly symbolizes the things that that keep me down. And he says that a lot of musicians have their own demons, and becoming popular and doing all of that performative stuff is really tough for them. If you're really good at, at your art as a musician, you had to have spent a, long, a lot of time alone. And so how does one acquire those skills to, to cope with fame and, and being in front of people? So Jesse thinks that having avatars to use instead of having to go out there yourself all the time might actually be good for music. You know, and, and the avatar business would be great. It would be great for introverts. And, and, I, and I suspect that many artists are, in fact, introverts. And in fact, probably many great, potentially great artists never make it because, you know, they're just they 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 don't translate well 
to the to the stage. And then, you know, people who aren't, you know, attractive by society standards, um, you know, are, are sort of kept at bay and, um, you know, an avatar would certainly benefit them. So, you know, I think it'd be good for, you know, a lot of different types of artists who are excluded from mainstream music. So let's say that we all live in a world of pop avatars. What is that world like? First, let's talk about what kind of avatars we'd actually see. What if I could have an avatar and, and what would it be? I, I, I would have a hard time choosing uh, a human face or, or body type or, or even a personality. Um, I, don't, I don't know what I would want to represent my music. And, you know, then maybe I'd, I'd look logically move to animals and, you know, maybe it's a, a band of rabbits or, or what have you. And that would be funny and it would be entertaining. Um, but then, you know, who would really want to go out to a club and see a, a band of rabbits, you know, play and sing. I, I say that and I think everybody, everybody, everybody would want to go to a club and see rabbits, cats, squirrels, um, lemurs. Oh, man, lemurs, a band of lemurs. Now, I would absolutely go see a band of lemurs playing music for sure. But of course, many of these replacement bodies, these avatars will be human and will look like humans. And with that comes kind of a lot of baggage. It would definitely um, lend itself well to seeming immortality of pop stars because, you know, they wouldn't have to age visually. I kind of like I would be interested to watch the kind of avatar system play out, mostly because like I wonder what it would do in terms of um, like constructions of beauty. That's Kelsey McKinney again, the writer for Fusion. Right? So, like, if every pop star picked an avatar, right, does your avatar look exactly like you? Or are you, like, my avatar is slightly skinnier and slightly taller and slightly more ripped, right? Or whatever your, like, ideals of beauty are. I don't know. It, it would be kind of fascinating to watch them have to pick the and, like, watch the think pieces pour out of, like... Beyonce's new avatars, like hip bones or whatever, you know, would be kind of a mess. And if everybody got these digital or even physical stand-ins, there would be a lot more weird fan art going on. Like, what if you could replicate the avatar that Beyonce uses and put on bootleg shows with it in your basement? It would be like fan fiction, like fan fiction concerts. Like, how much would you pay to watch a, like, Jay-Z, Beyonce, hologram show of Lemonade. Like, so much money. You would be like, just take it. Take my card and, like, swipe it for whatever this is going to cost me. You know, like, there's definitely some market to that. Um, and I wonder if this technology becomes more accessible and easier to use. I feel like it could very quickly become, like, fan-based art <laughs> then becomes, like, weird basement shows that go viral on the internet. And if you're a clone or hologram, you can live on in these performances forever. Or you can have multiple shows on the same night in many cities because you don't actually have to be there. Now, Jesse doesn't think that every musician could do this. Some genres, he says, just don't really work when you hide behind an animatronic lemur or whatever it is. I don't. I don't see an, an avatar, a successful singer-songwriter avatar, you know, future, um, you know, let's say like along the lines of Elliot Smith, you know, a sort of confessional singer-songwriter, um, you know, I, I, you, you want a human being behind that music. 
you want to see a human face and, and you want, you want, you know, you'll love it with his or her perfections, you know, so to make it, you know, slick does, seems counterintuitive. But for mega pop stars, people whose songs are written by hitmakers and who aren't confessing their deepest feelings on the stage, a clone or cartoon could totally do the job. Of course, like all trends, the avatar phase of pop would probably fade eventually. Let's say every pop star was like, we're opting out. We're not doing this anymore. We're going to become these like normal humans, and then we're going to project ourselves into the world of pop. I think what would happen immediately is I think someone would come out as like a true person, and that person would sell a million, a million albums. Like I think that's kind of the problem with creating that kind of vacuum is that I don't think it would last. I don't think, I don't think you could get everyone to agree to it. Um, but also I think even if you did get someone to, to agree to it, all that would happen is some 16 year old YouTube popper would become the new pop star because everyone would be like, Oh, but she's a real person. And maybe not that much would be different than it is today because in a lot of ways, pop stars today, they, they kind of are avatars. I mean, what we see of Taylor Swift or Beyonce or Justin Bieber, that's not really them. It's this constructed idea of them. It's almost like a clone. Yeah, I mean, she, Lady Gaga is an avatar. Um, you know, we, we all understand that she doesn't dress that way when she's going grocery shopping or, you know, hanging out with her parents. One of the most amazing things about watching pop stars live is how sweatless they look. So, like, you can watch Beyonce perform in an 80-degree outdoor stadium. She is undergoing, like, what is a workout that would probably kill me? Um, and she looks like she she doesn't even look real. Like, she never breaks a sweat. Her hair is never out of place. Like, it is incredible. And it's completely constructed, right? No one is actually sweatless. It's a series of mirrors and panels in which she can go behind the scenes and someone can mop her brow and she can return on stage with dry hair. But it's it looks, for all intensive purposes, for the audience, like she's just perfect. Like she would never sweat in front of you. And that's kind of that's kind of the insanity of this like construction of of identity for pop stars is that it's it's this perfection that's completely unattainable, but while you watch it, completely believable. Where you say, like, of course Beyonce doesn't sweat, she's perfect. If I were a pop star, which, thank God, I am not, I would totally opt for a clone. What about you? Do you think Beyonce is a clone? Would you listen to a pop star that was a cartoon or an animatronic lizard? What would your pop avatar be? Tell me. Call and leave a voicemail at 347-927-1425. Or send a voice memo from your phone to info at flashforwardpod.com. I think my pop avatar would be a snail. Okay, that's all for this episode. Flash Forward is produced by me, Rose Eveleth, and is part of the Boing Boing podcast family. The intro music is by Asura, and the outro music is by Broke for Free. Special thanks to Jesse, the Hustlonia founder, for letting us use some of his music in this episode. You can check out Jesse's albums at hustlonia.com. The voices for the intro were provided by Deb Chakra, Jade Davis, Wendy Hari, Brent Rose, and Jess Zimmerman. The episode art is by Matt Lubchansky. If you want to suggest a future we should take on, send us a note on Twitter, Facebook, Reddit, Tumblr, email at info at flashwordpod.com. We're probably on whatever social media thing that you use, except Snapchat. We are not on Snapchat yet. 
If you want us to be on Snapchat, tell me. We love hearing your ideas, and if you think you've spotted one of the little references that I've hidden in this episode, email us at info at flashforwardpod.com as well. If you are right, I will send you something cool. And if you want to support the show, there are a few ways that you can do that too. I actually just set up two new ways to support the show, so go to flashforwardpod.com support to learn more. You can now donate a one-time amount instead of monthly. You can become an Acast Plus member. You can sign up for Patreon. You can buy some merch. There's all kinds of stuff you can do. And if you can't support the show financially, I totally get it. You can still help. Head to iTunes and leave us a nice review or just tell your friends about us. I swear those things actually do make a difference. Okay, that's all for this future. Come back next time and we'll travel to a new one.